The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. Okay, can I just share something for a second? I'm feeling really stuck. Stuck. Not with the show. I love the show, but with my writing. And I guess it's really not that much of a surprise, but listen, I didn't see it coming. You know, I've spent 18 years writing about tech and business. And then this past fall, I published a memoir. It's all about my family and how I've made sense of our emotional lives. It came out last October, and there were parties and press. It made Time's must-read books of 2022. But now it's 2023. I'm on the other side of it. And I just don't know who I am exactly. I mean, am I a business writer or a memoirist? What do I write about exactly? What do I even care about? For months, I've opened up empty documents on my laptop positioned my fingers above the keyboard, and typed nothing. I'm in the messy middle of some massive change, and I've lived long enough to know that in the future, I'll be able to look back and make sense of it. But now, now I have nothing, just my insecurities, fear that my best days are behind me, that I'll never figure it out. So for today's episode, I went looking for help, and I found it in this conversation with Joanne Lippman. Now, I've known of Joanne since I first started writing, though we hadn't met. When I was really new, she was the editor-in-chief of this gorgeous and ambitious new business magazine from Condé Nast called Portfolio. It was amazing. It only lasted a few years. Joanne's a writer and a reporter, and she's been grappling with the uncertainty and the excitement of major transitions for most of her career, Now she's taken what she's learned, which is a good deal more than I seem to know, and she's called it Next, The Power of Reinvention in Life and Work. Joanne's book is based on tons of research. She interviewed people, people who'd made major transformations, and she also talked to change experts. Through this work, Joanne was able to distill the attributes of change into four categories. Now, full disclosure here, I don't really believe in playbooks or frameworks I don't think there's a magic checklist for tackling hard moments, and if we check every box, we feel better. I sure wish there were right about now. Life is so much messier than that. But these categories helped me to see the commonalities between my experience and those of so many others. And her work reassured me that what I'm feeling now is normal and even necessary and will give way to something new. I hope that wherever you are in your own process of figuring out what comes next, this episode will do the same for you. Here's Joanne. So the four stages are search, struggle, stop, and solution. And I will describe each briefly, and then we can kind of dive in a little bit. 
Um, so the search is really interesting. This is step one. This is when you're collecting information about what your future will be, what you're going to transition to. But the cool thing about it is with so many of the people I interviewed, they didn't know they were doing it. It's very often unintentional. Um, and then from there is step two is the struggle. Now, the struggle is where you sort of you're leaving behind that old life, but you have not quite figured out where you're going, what is that new career or that new life. The thing about the struggle is it's really, really, really uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about it. And in all of our sort of origin stories about, you know, great billionaires and, and you know, great businesses, we kind of gloss over it. We have that Cinderella thing where it's like overnight success. And um, so that struggle, though, can last for quite a while. And very often it doesn't end until you reach a stop. That's your third stage. Now, not everyone has that, but many, many, many of the people who I interviewed run into a stop. And that can be an intentional stop, like you quit your job, but it might be an unintentional stop that is forced on you, like, for example, you're laid off or uh, there's an illness or a death in your family and it changes your circumstance or there's a pandemic and we are all stopped in our tracks. Um, and very often it is only at that point where sort of all of this search and struggle has sort of all coalesces together. Everything you've been collecting coalesces together and that leads you to your solution, the fourth step. Sort of like the hero's journey in a way, It right? is very similar to the hero's journey. Yes, 100%. I noticed that as well, right? Where the hero goes out and then has a great struggle and it, and it has a near-death experience, the stop, uh, before he can come back as the changed hero. If you're listening and you're thinking, I'm in the middle of this and it's desperately uncomfortable, it's supposed to feel uncomfortable. That means that you are in the process. You are doing the right things. Well, as much as any of us can figure out what the right things are to be doing. But part of figuring it out is being willing to be in the discomfort of what is not known. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That is a huge takeaway that I took from all the reporting and a big takeaway from the book. The Cinderella idea is so damaging to us, right? We go from the frog turns into a prince. And then by the time we're teenagers, it's Superman and Spider-Man. By the time we're grownups, it's American Idol or who wants to be a millionaire. And it's all about overnight success. And then the business stories that we tell ourselves, right? You know, Mark Zuckerberg goes from college kid to tech billionaire. Vera Wang goes from figure skater to world-class designer. And we never hear about that struggle in between, but we all go through it. Here's the thing about that struggle piece of it. That's actually where the real work gets done. And what I found actually very comforting about understanding this process is that struggle period is very often when you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you feel like you're getting nowhere and you are absolutely sure that everybody else has got their act together except you and you're the only person going through this. But in fact, we all go through it. You're not spinning your wheels. There's actually quite a bit of work that's going on and you are moving forward. You may not consciously realize it, but you are. I feel like that is one of the biggest lessons to the second part of our career, that if in the first part of our career we think about work as somehow connected to the clock and to an itemized list of things that we're doing, in the second part of our careers we come to the realization that sometimes work is what's going on in the background that produces greatness and it's not always connected to a clock or a time frame or anything that you can write down or do. A hundred percent. You know, the other thing that you're touching on there, which I, which was another real takeaway for me when I wrote Next, 
is that what we learn initially is to have a career, you're supposed to have a goal, and then you're supposed to work backwards and figure out every single step of the way to get to that, you know, that shiny mansion on the hill, right? You have to have all these steps to get to your goal. But what I found is that for so many of the people I interviewed, it was this sort of meandering path, and they didn't end up where they thought they were going to end up. And I think that's also really important that you can, you can, you know, this search and this struggle can lead you to a place that you never would have imagined and that is really, really rewarding. Okay, so that really resonates with me because I work at a tech company. And if you had asked early Jesse what she was going to grow up to be, I would tell you I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to write about important things for magazines. I'm going to write articles. Um, and if at any point during that time you would have said to me, oh, and then what? There would be no and then <laughs> what? That was the idea and that was the goal. Um, and it was only by being in that struggle, treading water for what felt like years, uninspired by the job I had and unclear about what I was supposed to do, that I that I landed here. But it was completely unpredictable to me at that point in my life that I would. Tell us a story of somebody who similarly landed in a place they never would have expected and found themselves really satisfied. Sure. There's so many stories in the book, but um, one of my favorites is um, a guy named Chris Donovan. So Chris is this big, burly, bearded guy from Boston, from a working-class family. And, you know, in his family, it was like you get a job and you keep a job. So as a teenager, he joins the phone company. He's a phone repairman. But the thing is, Chris had this secret hobby that he did not share with anyone else. It actually started when he was a teenager, and a girl came into school, and she was wearing these absolutely insane, crazy shoes, and he started sketching them. And he realized that he really enjoyed doing this. So he, he started sketching these sort of architectural drawings of fantastical shoes. And it became this little hobby, and he didn't share it with anybody because he's a phone repairman, and, like, this is not a thing, and it's certainly not a career. Um, and he does this for years and years as a phone repairman. And then ultimately, I think he was in his 30s at this point, he met his now husband. And he finally showed these years of notebooks to someone else. And his husband said, wow, you're actually really talented. You should think about this. And it, it threw him into this sort of existential struggle, right? He'd been in this search phase, right? With, with He really was experimenting with all these drawings. Now he's in this struggle, like, wow, I, maybe I could do something with this, but wait, it's too late. Wait, it's not really a job. It was really problematic for him for quite a number of years. And then what happened was he had that dreaded stop, which was when he's about 50 years old, he gets stricken with prostate cancer. And he gets the cancer diagnosis, and he's immediately thinking, what am I doing with my life? Thankfully, he recovered. But when he recovered, he took early retirement and took his earnings from early retirement and went back to school, went to design school. And if you look today, you can look Chris Donovan's shoes. Um, you can go online and look at them. They're super cool. He is a couture shoe designer. And he was named in 2020, Boston Magazine named him best new shoe designer and they called him Boston's newest fashion superstar. He was 61 years old. Pretty great. I, I love that That's story. Pretty great. I love that story. Um, I think that a lot of people listening um, might feel like they need for change to happen in a shorter time <laughs> period. Um, although it is important to remember that um, uh, nothing happens in two weeks, right? Mark Zuckerberg doesn't make 
Facebook into a billion-dollar company in two weeks. Yes. You're right. I do not mean to suggest that everybody's going to take that long, but I'll give you like a great example of a young woman, a woman named uh, Lauren Strayhorn, who I met. So um, Lauren uh, was in college and studying marketing, and um, she wanted to do like a big corporate marketing job, which is she said her dad had the same job, same company, 32 years. And like that was her goal, right? And she graduates from college and she, she's in a job, but she wants, she wants to get a better job. So she starts taking these graduate level courses and um, in marketing. And for one of her classes, you have to design a product. And she designs a product that she calls Noted with two Ds at the end. And what it was is um, she's a young black professional woman. And she said she was so busy looking at so many different newsletters to put together the information that was actually relevant to her. She said, I want to create my own newsletter where I pull from all of this information that's out there for other women like me, young black professional women, that we're going to have a newsletter just for us that is relevant. And she designed it as a school project. The class ends and she keeps doing it because she's finding it's getting some traction. The pandemic hits and she's basically working at home because she's in a marketing job, you know, like the rest of us stuck at home. And she's realizing that she's spending more and more time on Noted, less on her day job. She can still get everything done. But she's also realizing that she's now rushing through her day job because she loves this passion project, this Noted. And so she ultimately, during the pandemic, she actually worked with a, a coach and realized that she could make this a business. And so today, Noted is her business. She's a young woman who made this transition within a, a couple of years. And um, and she just loves it. She said, she said, you know, she said it's still in the struggle phase. Like she's still getting it up and running, but she's so satisfied, happy, gratified by the response it gets. You know, it was just a great pivot. And again, it was something she never imagined because her whole life was geared toward a steady corporate job. I love that you referenced coach in there. I'm curious what roles other people can play in your search for what comes next. You know, I have a, a series that I've distilled of really great steps that you can take um, to help get you through that transition. And one of them is called find an expert companion. And I love this phrase, expert companion. It actually comes from trauma psychology. Um, trauma psychologists have felt that people have gone through really horrible situations, and yet they're able to come out um, feeling more positive. Um, that it's called post-traumatic growth that they've grown through tragedy. Uh, and you can have post-traumatic growth at the same time as post-traumatic stress, which most people would also experience. Um, but one of, one of the keys that they found in post-traumatic growth is it helps to have an expert companion. The expert companion in their terminology is somebody who really knows you well and who has a much more objective view of you than you do of yourself. So they're able to help you understand your strengths and your power and your talent. And, uh, and I love that so much that I have borrowed that phrase because I think everyone can use an expert companion to help them. I interviewed several people who talked about the power of having somebody who recognized their own skills better than, than they did. Um, there, Ina Garten, the, the Barefoot Contessa, she tells a fantastic story. She's written about this. 
um, about her husband. And she has talked about her origin story, which is she actually had started out as a budget analyst in the White House. And um, she would have dinner parties on the weekends. And she loved her dinner parties and trying out the Julia Child recipes. And it was more fun than her day job, but she didn't think of it as a job because she was on a high-powered business track. And uh, she talked about how she was really not happy with her day job and kind of paging through the newspaper saw an ad for a little food specialty store in West Hampton, New York called the Barefoot Contessa that was for sale. And she said she went back home and was talking to her husband, Jeffrey. And um, Jeffrey is the one who said, you love to cook, you love to entertain, you can do this. Like he was the one who gave her that sort of understanding that she had what it what it would take. Yeah. And um, and that was what prompted her to make that switch. And of course, the rest is history. She's now like the cooking diva of all time. We're going to take a quick break here. We've just heard three great examples of people who've made unexpected and very positive shifts in their careers. Now, if you're saying to yourself, sure, these stories sound great, but I know five reasons I could never do that, stick around because the next part of our conversation is specifically for you. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. And I want to know if you'll talk to me. I've started talking to listeners pretty much every week. I want to learn more about your careers and why you listen, what's important to you. If you are up for sharing that with me, please reach out to hellomonday at linkedin.com or message me on LinkedIn. As Joanne told her stories, I was pretty focused on myself. Sure, the barefoot Contessa could cook and entertain. She didn't have toddlers at home who refused to sleep through the night. She didn't have to be the primary breadwinner in her family. My brain just does that. It skips to the constraints, all the reasons why these things would never work for me. And I'm not the only one who does this. Every person I interviewed had 27 reasons for why they couldn't, shouldn't, didn't have the resources, didn't have the support, 
Um, and that is why you need to have a few keys there, right? There's a few steps that you really need to, to take to push yourself forward. One is we all have this tendency to just get lost in our own heads and in our own thoughts. And you really do need to go out and take some action. Um, even if it's something small, if it's taking a course or shadowing somebody in an industry that might be interesting to you. There's another phrase that I love. There's a, a, a fabulous business professor named Herminia Ibarra mm -hmm. who talks about possible selves. If possible selves is imagining what you might or could be. And that's really important, too, because that's the first step in sort of getting to where you're going. But imagining the possible selves is not enough. Like you need to take action. You also, you know what helps is actually even writing it down when there's all this research that shows if you just actually write down your goals or you share your goals or share your aspirations or interests with someone else, you are far more likely to actually act and move and be successful in making that transition. This comes up in so many conversations on this show, this idea that you absolutely have to see a version of the future you want to move into in order to be able to create it. It doesn't mean that seeing it will create it. This is not the secret or anything. Um, but whether it is um, Debbie Millman talking about her 10-year plan or whether it is Bill Gates talking about optimism, um, this idea that like that you cannot realize a future that you cannot envision, either for yourself personally or the larger world. And so the first step can be to sit down and write that dream job. Like if there were no constraints, what is the dream opportunity? But also, if you don't know what the dream opportunity is, Actually, talk to that expert companion. Talk to someone. I mean, uh, Danny Meyer, the famous restaurateur, Union Square Hospitality Group, and Shake Shack and a million other restaurants, um, he told me this story. I love this story. He he was another guy who was like, get a job after college. And um, he had some sales job, and he got to travel around. But all along, like, he loved eating. Like, he loved food. <laughs> he loved cooking for his friends. But, you know, you have to get real at some point. So he he had this sales job. And he said, I have to get real. He was about to take the LSATs. He came to New York. And he said the night before he had dinner with an uncle who knew him really well, his aunt and uncle. And his uncle said to him, what are you doing? He said, the uncle said, you love food. You should like make a career in restaurants. And Danny said to me, you know, it never occurred to me that that was a, a job, that that was a possible career. And it was just this boom, like this aha moment that the uncle was like, saw him better than he saw himself. And he skipped the LSATs and he never went to law school. Such a good story. Um, how do you think about personal networks? How should we best make use of the networks that we have? Yeah, I'm really, really glad you asked about this because this is another one of the recommendations for if you want to make a big transition, which is reach out to your broader network. And by that, I mean your weak ties and uh, dormant ties, two slightly different things. So first of all, when we only talk to our own network, we tend to be in a bubble. We tend to kind of reinforce our own views. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of an echo chamber. Right. Whereas when you reach out to beyond your own bubble, you get fresh information. And there's all kinds of research that shows that when people do reach out, um, that is, it, it, you're far more likely to get that new job or get that new opportunity. And uh, pretty much that was true when I interviewed all the people in the book. I would say most of them actually ended up making this transition 
thanks to a weak tie or a dormant tie. So just to make sure we understand the term. So weak ties are people who you know like a little bit. Um, a weak tie could be like it's your college roommate's brother who works for Google and you're interested in Google, that kind of thing. Uh, dormant ties are people who you've lost touch with. It might be somebody who you worked with two or three jobs ago. Those dormant ties are unbelievably powerful. It's just amazing how fruitful they can be. It's a really good way when you're thinking about transitioning. Okay, so let's stay on that one second, because I think that um, particularly post-pandemic, those of us with any level of social anxiety um, feel awkward and anxious about reaching out to people that we don't know well. What is the secret to how to do that well? And where does our confidence come? I mean, honestly, Joanne, all respect, like you've been the editor of a major business magazine. My brother, who you've never met, is going to take your call. How about our listener who's maybe never done that? Oh, I don't think it matters what your job was. I mean, honestly, people who I've reached out to or who have reached out to me um, are at all different different levels. I think one way to do it, um, honestly, is to ask someone advice, right? In terms of just asking for a piece of specific advice, um, I think that a lot of people are very open to that. I think there's a feeling that we like to pay it forward because we think about the people who helped us along the way and you want to pay it forward. I do think the key is, though, don't ask something unreasonable. Don't ask for an in-person meeting. Don't ask for like a, a, a letter of recommendation from somebody you don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's one more part to that. I, I, would, I would also say that the key is to learn, and this feels very hard, but to learn to take the answer no with a grain of salt. And by that, I mean not to disrespect someone who was given the no, but not to take it personally. Yes. Like, right? Yes. yes. I ask you, you don't have time right now. You say no. I am just fine. I am okay. I can... I can continue on in life and ask someone else. I think that is a really, really great point because somebody could miss your email or somebody could just be way too busy to be able to respond. And that's not personal to you. And that is something that I think all, you know, I, I, this is something, you know, my previous book was That's What She Said, and it was about closing the gender gap. And I did a lot of research about women in particular. And this is something that is very common among women, which is we take things really personally. If somebody doesn't want to talk to us or doesn't respond to us, we think, what's the matter with me? And very often, there's nothing the matter with you. It's it's the person, whoever you're reaching out to is busy or they missed your email or they got something else going on. You know, we, we have to be cognizant that the, the world is not all about us. People are not sitting there in judgment on us. I think, and I do think that gender t plays a big part in it. And um, even as I say that, I'm just thinking about I've been going back and forth for the last couple of days. I um, There's a podcast I really want to be on, and so I emailed the host. We had a back and forth about something else, and then I sent him a big, long, hey, and please will you put me on your podcast, and here's what I think I can offer, and he's ghosted me. Oh. And I spent the first week being like, oh, he doesn't want me on his podcast. But then I spent this week thinking, oh, maybe he gets 100 million emails a day. Or maybe he got a call that his kid was sick at exactly the moment that my email came in. Or maybe he just doesn't exactly know what to say. Or maybe he hasn't figured out how to say no yet. But the point is, I just don't know yet. And so after I'm done here, Joanne, I'm just committing to you now that I'm going to go and email him a second time. I think that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I actually had a, an, a um, situation recently where there's someone who I only met once 
uh, and he emailed me, and I missed the email. And he sent me a second email, and it was about a project he was doing that actually it turns out I was really interested in hearing about. And um, I was really grateful that he sent that second email and also that he thought of me about this project that he wanted to talk about. And I actually had this conversation with him. I said, I, I think it's so cool that you had the gumption to kind of find me and reach out to me. And he said, well, yeah, you should be doing the same thing with other people. I mean, I I feel like I'm still learning as well. Yeah. Um, and that's a wonderful transition to the last question that I want to ask you, which is how much of this stuff in this book applies to the journey you've had in your own career? A hundred percent. Um, someone said to me recently that authors write books that they need, and that would definitely apply to me. I mean, I was the person who, you know, I had been out on the road um, talking about my my previous book when the pandemic hit, and everything got canceled and everything got shut down, and um, and so I was the person who like was suddenly at home saying, oh my gosh, like what is next for me? But I also feel like it's applied to my entire arc of my career. Um, like you, I had a very, very strong idea when I was young, you know, I'm going to be a journalist and someday I want to work for the Wall Street Journal. That was my goal. That was it. And I actually was hired by the Wall Street Journal. I got the internship, which was my big goal in life when I was in college, and then they hired me. And then I was like, oh, well, now what? Like, and I stayed at the Wall Street Journal for 22 years. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Became an editor. It was just, it was fantastic. Um, but but so often in like, I never would have imagined, I sometimes think about like college me. Would I, I, I had no even aspirations to be an editor. Like it never occurred to me that I could or would want to be an editor in, until that opportunity was given to me. And I realized, wow, I really love it. I had no aspirations or ideas that I would write books until um, the first book that I wrote, which was came out of a, a, a piece. It was actually a music memoir. It was called Strings Attached, uh, which I co-authored um, about my childhood music teacher, which, again, not anything that, it, that I ever imagined. And so I feel like I understand that journey better. And the other thing that I really, really learned in, in writing Next was I have had moments in my life, and I think we probably all have, where in between things, where I'm like, I'm never going to work again. I don't know what I want to do next. I feel like I'm kind of spinning my wheels here. And I think we all have those moments. And now I realize, looking back, that all of those moments were necessary to get to where I am and to get to do the projects and the jobs that I have actually loved doing. That was Joanne Lippman. Her new book, Next, is out now from HarperCollins. And me, I'm still spinning. I'm in the second phase of Joanne's framework, deep in the struggle. I've been trying to be gentle with myself, to give myself grace. I don't really know how to solve this problem yet, but I understand that it isn't really a problem at all. It's the messy middle of the change process. One day I'll call it growth, right? Come talk about the struggle phase of change with us this Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll meet on the LinkedIn news page for office hours. If you want a direct link, email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. I'll have coffee. For me, not you, bring your own. And plenty of questions. Maybe you'll have an idea for me. I'd appreciate it. 
This week, we're introducing dun, da, 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 a new segment. And for this segment, I'm bringing on our producer, Sarah Storm. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jesse. Hey, so we're going to call this section, this segment, Quick Tips. I was going to call it Quick Tip, but I think that we want to leave ourselves room because a lot of times, Sarah, we're going to have a lot of tips here. I can't wait. And these are tips that come from y'all. So if you've listened to this episode and you were thinking, well, Joanne has a lot of great ideas, but you know what? I've got some great ideas too. Well, send them to us and maybe we'll bring them on. This week, though, we're going to talk about last week's episode on adult friendship. I loved last week's episode. It hit home for me, Sarah. Yeah. Yep. So Kat Velas was our guest last week, and she made this great analogy that sometimes friendships don't go away, but they get put in the freezer. They need to be thought out. I particularly loved what Carrie Ann Hoffman had to share. You want to take it, Sarah? Absolutely. Carrie Ann says, I like to think that friendships exist on a light dimmer. Sometimes the light shines super bright and other times it's on the dimmer side. There might be toxic friendships that you have to turn off the lights on. There's effort in keeping so many lights on dim, but has always proven worth it to me. Okay, so I love this idea, Sarah, of keeping so many lights on dim. It's sort of like the the whole theory around loose ties and mm-hmm. how how important it is for your career and for your life, not just to nurture the closest friendships you have, but to gently take care of so many more relationships, right? Absolutely. We actually talked about this on Office Hours this week. Michaela and I were talking with the, with the whole community about uh, how we reach out to people when they pop into our heads. Like maybe you don't talk every day, but periodically it's really nice when you're like, oh, Jesse, I haven't talked to Jesse in a while. You just fire off a quick text. It's like, hey, I was thinking of you. I've got that light switch on dim and I am going to turn it up. Hello. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. So that's our tip for this week. Send us in your own thoughts, advice, and tips based on Joanne's episode or any other episode that speaks to you. And back to my conversation with Joanne. Yeah, so I have a question for you, actually. Yeah. So first of all, let's come back to the memoir, which, by the way, everyone is called The Family Outing. It's out everywhere you can buy books and you should buy this book. So you in this interview told Joanne you were going to do something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know what you're talking about. What, what am I talking about? I said I would send a second email to the podcast host who didn't get back to me about having me on his show. And and did you do it? So I didn't do it when I said I would. I It was like I had this like crazy amnesia that I'd like to tell you it is amnesia, but I'm sure it was my subconscious like trying to sabotage me. Mm. But Sarah, I'm here to tell you that I did it today. Yes. Oh, I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. Uh, well, I'll let you know what happens maybe in office hours. I'll Sounds let good. you know when we get to office hours. Listen, a lot of you have um, read the book. Thank you for that. A lot of you guys have snapped photos at your local bookstores and sent them. Thank you for that. And keep them coming. It never gets old for me. I got to narrate the audiobook myself. Stick around after the credits today and I'll share a brief clip with you. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News. Sarah Storm produces our show. It's engineered by a soft drone. Our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Rafa Faria, Lolia Briggs, Wallace Truesdale, Kanaya Rogers, and Michaela Greer help us reinvent ourselves in amazing ways. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening.
The ride from Brown's Providence campus to our Massachusetts home takes just under an hour. We're all wearing seatbelts. No one has to look at one another. I make my announcement with a force that doesn't at all reflect my internal doubt. I'm pretty sure I'm gay, I say, focusing my eyes on the headrest in front of me. In the front passenger seat, my mother begins to cry. She tells me it makes her sad because I won't be able to have children of my own. Then she says she thinks maybe my cousin Charlie is gay because he's very emotional. Charlie is 11 at the time. Then she tells me that she still loves me and always will love me. Dad stares straight ahead, hands on the wheel at 10 and 2. He says nothing. The next morning, I'm eating cereal at the breakfast bar in our kitchen when Dad walks in. He pours a bowl of grape nuts and adds skim milk. I thought I was gay once, too, he says. So casually, he might have been telling me that he also wore oversized sweatshirts in college. Really, Dad? I respond. What did you do about it? Dad drains the milk out of his bowl with a quick slurp and stands to grab his briefcase. Well, I married your mom, he says. Then he heads out to the office.